The Rare Patient Advocacy Summit is the can't-miss event of the year for rare disease stakeholders. The summit is the largest gathering of rare disease patients, advocates, and thought leaders worldwide. Join Global Genes October 3rd and 4th at the Hotel Irvine in Irvine, California, to take advantage of this opportunity to connect and learn from more than 100 experts in rare disease. For more information or to register, go to www.globalgenes.org forward slash 2018 summit. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. A few years ago, Kavi Gandhi's parents told him that they had become overwhelmed with the demands of running the foundation they had started to fund research for eye cell disease, a condition that his older brother Yash died from at the age of nine. Kavi told his parents he didn't want them to close the foundation and offered to take on some of the responsibilities of running it. Since then, he has become a fierce advocate. He's organized events, raised money, and maintained an active presence on social media for the organization. In recognition of his work, Global Genes named Gandhi the 2018 Rare Champion of Hope for Teen Advocacy. We spoke to Gandhi, Development and Communications Coordinator for the Yash Gandhi Foundation, about his decision to take a central role at the foundation, the perspective he brings to the work as someone who lost an older brother to a rare disease, and his life as a teen advocate. Javi, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to talk about your brother, Yash, eye cell disease, and your work as a rare disease advocate. Your older brother, Yash, was diagnosed with mucolipidosis 2 or eye cell disease in 2002. For listeners not familiar with the condition, can you explain what it is? How does it manifest itself, and how does it progress? Yeah, so... Um Eye cell is a rare genetic disorder that falls under a series of um, disorders that are classified as uh, lysosomal storage disorders. So essentially people with eye cell um, have a certain enzyme deficiency um, that their body basically doesn't make enough, enough of. Um, and those enzymes are... Um, necessary for bodily function to break down uh, like cellular waste that is um, kind of developed by the body um, on a daily basis. So um, that byproduct and waste that builds up uh, from cell function is uh, kind of um, accumulates in organs and bones and also other parts of the body. Um, so the accumulation in the organs um, leads to um, a general dysfunction of organs in the bodies of those with eye cell um, and also leads to a lot of severe respiratory issues. Um, so I guess it kind of 
it manifests itself in the sense that physically uh, people affected have short stature and born bone abnormalities. Um, and like I mentioned, uh, a lot of respiratory problems, which also leads to a lot of uh, frequent hospitalizations. Um, so kind of as the disease progresses, that uh, the organ function um, that's already not uh, perfect, it kind of worsens, and also um, respiratory illnesses do become more severe as uh, life goes on. What was it like to grow up with an older brother who had this rare condition? So, you know, when um, when I was kind of living with Yash and his rare condition, I was still quite young. Um, but something I do remember is uh, quite often it was difficult for, for us to do things as a whole family, so myself and my brother and my parents. Um, so often it was... Uh, me going to any of the activities I did with one of my parents uh, because one needed to stay home and take care of Yash. Um, and also just when we were all out together being in public, um, I do remember it being difficult because obviously he looks different to um, all other children who are his age or my age. Um, and it was it was kind of uh, scary being young and seeing people staring at your brother just because you look different. Um, and also the, we went to the hospital a lot of times, uh, when he was young just because of any illness, um, was a reason to go to the hospital. So that was also another reason of, um, myself just being scared and also, uh, not really knowing, uh, what was happening with him. Yash died in 2009 at the age of nine. You were quite young, six at the time. How well did you understand what happened to Yash, and what was that like for you at that age to lose your brother? Um, so I was obviously young um, at six years old, and I know that I did understand that um, Yash wasn't with us anymore. Um, but it was the concept of, I think, death that was something that I didn't, um, understand at the time. Um, so it certainly was difficult, um, him being my best friend, we did pretty much everything together, and knowing that he wasn't there definitely was, uh, a pretty difficult experience and transition for me. Your parents had started the Yash Gandhi Foundation for ICEL Research. I know they raised tens of thousands of dollars to support research, but that they came to you when you were 13 to tell you that they were thinking of ending the foundation because the administrative demands had become so great. You didn't want them to stop. Why was that, and what did you tell them? Uh, so, you know, when my parents came to me and they were like, look, this has become a lot on us. Um, we're not sure if we can do it anymore. I was completely taken aback. And when they asked me what I wanted to do, in all honesty, I needed a while to think. Um, and in that time, I kind of took to myself reflecting on um, all of the achievements we had. Um, it, it really occurred to me what the importance of our foundation was. 
and how we were doing so many other things beyond just raising money and contributing to ISAW research. Uh, for example, with our, um, our fundraising events, um, we kind of sparked a whole connection of families within the ISAW community. And uh, before there wasn't, there was communication between them, but there wasn't as much of like a support system where people really, really knew each other. And because of the work we were doing with the foundation, um, it was really what sparked that connection. And so thinking about that and um, just seeing the work that we had done, and even though we were in a stage where things were uncertain, um, for me, I knew that this, for me, at least, was something that I felt was crucial. And um, thinking about, uh, I don't even know if disappointment is the right word, but the disappointment that people would feel of, um, because we were, with the work we were doing, we were really giving all of these ISL families hope. And the thought of um, them kind of losing that hope was uh, was difficult for me to think about, which was really why I wanted to step up and um, keep the foundation going and keep up the work that we were doing. So what, what did step up mean and how active a role did you start to play in the foundation? Um. So when I started, um, there was a lot of the behind-the-scenes work that I was doing. Um, so things like writing emails and uh, little tasks here and there. And then I started doing um, more with organizing the annual 5K fundraiser that we had every year. Um, I took more of a role in uh, communication and our outreach to the community. And I actually made a lot of effort in kind of getting my uh, our local community engaged and involved with the foundation. Um, so specifically, I, I kind of looked at my school community and um, all of my friends and uh, teachers at school and um, really wanted to get them involved and uh, have them know about the work that we were doing. Um, so that was one of the biggest things. Um, when I first started taking more of an active role was kind of engaging a lot more people uh, in what we were doing. I know you've done a lot on the social media front. What exactly have you done there? Um, so our social media has uh, taken a turn to um, really notifying people of what we're doing as a foundation, but also... Um, getting more on a personal level of how uh, ISAL affects um, so many people's lives personally. So a few a few years ago, back in February, um, the end of February is Rare Disease Day. So throughout the month of February, we um, each day we highlighted on social media uh, a certain child or a couple of children who were affected by ISAL and kind of just shared um, a story either from their family's perspective or um, and like a picture of them and just some information about them. So it's kind of like a more of a connection for people on the outside to see um, who we as a foundation are actually working to help and support. Any advice you'd offer other organizations looking to, to leverage social media from, from what you've learned? Um, 
I think being able to think creatively, um, a lot of times you can get stuck with uh, what you want to post and it might feel like something that's irrelevant, but uh, really it's something that uh, somebody who looks at it will find extremely interesting. So being creative and coming up with different ways of, uh, of advertising and reaching out to different groups of people and I think also just knowing who uh, who your audience is on different social platforms is definitely a great first step to um, kind of revitalizing a social media campaign. I know you've also done a lot in the area of organizing fundraising events to support research into ISEL. What have you done in, in that area? Yeah, so each year uh, for the past three years, we hold an annual uh, 5K walk run, um, which is our biggest and uh, primary fundraising event of the year. So um, that um, is basically all of our friends, family, people among the community, ISEL families. Um, everyone comes together for a morning. Uh, it's a 5K race, and we've raised about... Um, on average, fifty to sixty thousand dollars with each five k for the past three years. And in addition to that, outside of um, fundraisers that we hold ourselves, there's a lot of people who um, themselves will go and organize their own fundraiser, um, even if it's something as small as a lemonade stand. But they will do their own work uh, to support the foundation. And a lot of the donations we get also comes from those individual fundraising efforts. Any advice you'd offer other organizations in that regard on doing successful fundraising? Um, one thing for sure is being patient, um, when organizing a fundraiser or fundraising event, uh, things don't always go the way that you want them to. Um, and there's always a lot of roadblocks and difficulties that uh, you'll hit along the way. And um, learning from those roadblocks definitely is something helpful, uh, being able to ask for help. Um, and for me, something that I've really learned and would offer as a piece of advice for un organizing fundraisers is just being comfortable with talking to new people um, that you probably never would have thought you would have talked to. Um, but sometimes just connecting with the right person um, can really help in having a successful fundraiser. As someone who's young and has lost a, a brother to this disease, I, I imagine you have a, a unique perspective with which to reach out to other siblings who may be going through a similar loss. I know you've had some interaction with siblings of children who died from the condition. What's that like to do, and what do you want them to know? Yeah, so um, for me, reaching out and um, just talking with siblings, who whether they've lost their sibling to ISIL or not, um, it's, it's for me the few times I've had that experience, it's, it's definitely something that is really heartwarming for me to be able to talk to someone who really understands um, what I've gone through as a sibling and what my life being among other people with siblings has been. Um, it is a different situation to talking with parents who have lost their kids to ISIL. Um, 
And I think talking to a sibling, um, somebody who is my age or younger, slightly older, um, is definitely a very different type of special connection. And for them, um, I think what I would want them to know is that it's going to be difficult. Um, there's a lot of, uh, that comes with being a sibling of someone who has special needs. Um, but then that's also something that makes you unique as a person. And for me, what I've learned is it's been something that's been formative of a lot of aspects of my life. Um, so while it always is going to be difficult, um, there's a lot of, there's a, a unique experience that also comes with that that's unique to being a sibling of someone who has special needs. You're a high school student with all the demands that come with that. How do you balance demands of your role in the foundation with what else you're doing? What what keeps driving you to do this? So, um, you know, sometimes it is difficult uh, to find the balance that I want to um, with having homework each night and also having uh, the demands that come with the foundation. There are nights where I struggle to find um, I know I need to get homework, and I also know that I need to get something done with the foundation. Um, but, you know, when you have a passion for something, and I'm really passionate about the work that we're doing, um, you're always going to be able to find the time. Um, so a lot of my work does come in during the summer when I'm not in school. Um, but during the school year, um, I do find uh, time to get the work done when I want to. And uh, the other thing is, I talked about it earlier, I've gotten a lot of my really close friends involved um, with the foundation and some of our work, and they've been um, supportive of that, and just getting the support and uh, seeing how all of my friends want to be involved in the work that we're doing, it's definitely something that's motivating, and having that other, uh, that other keyhole of support is is definitely something that motivates me to keep striving to do the work that we're doing. Connie Gandhi, Development and Communications Coordinator for the Yash Gandhi Foundation and 2018 Rare Champion of Hope on a Reef for Teen Advocacy. Connie, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Danny. This was great. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.